Did you just start growing your hair out after you stopped being on TV? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was um, it was a um, like a, a coronavirus uh, lockdown thing. Um, you know, I just didn't get a cut for uh, 18 months or something like that. And then when I went, I finally got a cut. And then I was like, you know what? I don't mind it sort of longish again. So uh, it's now more stylized in that sense. But um, it was it was a pandemic thing. I just like I say, I, I think I, I got a cut in January of 2020. And then I think it got cut until uh, July of last year. So it was uh, the longest I ever went between uh, haircuts. Looks good. What does uh, Roxanne think? You know, she's fine with it. You know, she's like, good. you know, it's, like like again everything in the last two years has kind of like has just changed you know you, you don't sort of worry about those little things anymore that you may have um bothered you absolutely mesquites yeah. has got a beard now things have changed <laughs> yeah exactly yeah 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 <laughs> so i gotta talk to you about this australian open final man that was one of the craziest matches i've ever seen and yeah. just those three players having 20 grand slams and then having nadal push to the top. What do you think about, like, I still think Federer, maybe I'm a little nostalgic, but Federer is the greatest of all time. But wh where does yeah. this put, yeah, where does this put Nadal? Well, I mean, the thing is, like, uh, on grass, Federer is still better than Nadal, yeah. but on clay, um, Nadal is better than Federer. There's no no question there. So it comes really down to the hard courts. And uh, I don't have all the sort of Grand Slam details here in front of me, but I, I know that uh, Federer, um, I mean, he's won, what, seven Wimbledons. He's won one French. So that means he's won, um, you know, 12 hard courts. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think I think in their prime, I think you could take either one um, on, on the hard court. I'd definitely take Federer on the grass and, and Nadal on the uh, on the clay. So it's very, it's very even. But it's, it's also great that, you know, when you think about it, I think it was 20, it was 2001 when I remember when, um, Federer beat Sampras at Wimbledon and it was like whoa you know like this guy beat Pete Sampras how good is he going to be and here we are 20 years later and he's still kind of playing he's, he hasn't played as much because of injuries and age and things like that but mm -hmm. it's um I thought when when Federer was in his peak years there from sort of like 2002 to 2000 and you know seven or eight or something like that I thought there's no way anyone's going to be better than him he was just so good um and he's so so consistent and resilient and all that but overall it's and, and novak as well i mean despite what went on with novak and his and his vaccination situation that doesn't change the fact that he's an incredible talent um and he he's a little bit younger as well correct? yeah he's probably going to end up with the most because honestly nadal might not be playing after this year the way that he spoke after that final in melbourne i, I i've kind of be surprised if we see him in melbourne again it was it was sounding like it was a bit of a farewell tour and federer at the same like he's going to get up for wimbledon and maybe the us open but um that's about it and, and and novak keeps himself in pretty good shape overall so he could be playing for another four or five years here and he should get the record and he should go away with it pretty comfortably uh when it's all said and done how many french opens has nadal won it's been over 10 right i think he's up to 13. i think yeah, I think it's 13 that he's, wow. he's won because he's won the Australian twice and that's 15 and he's won Wimbledon uh, at least uh, two times, I think, and then four, four US Open. So, uh, yeah. you know, and before Nadal won, remember, it was, it was uh, the Brazilian Gustavo Querten who, um, you know, he won three French Opens in a row and it was like, oh, this guy, this guy's going to be untouchable. And then Nadal's just gone and blown him out of the water. So, uh 
you know, it, it's um, it, it's it's been great. I mean, it really has been fun. And and just to see Novak up there is actually quite amazing because he got off to a, a bit of a slow start with his career, and then uh, you know, then he now he's just like cashing in because he's just so he's another one. He's just a, a workhorse. Like he just never gets injured or or anything like that. He just keeps on fighting, and he's uh, you know, he's he's un, he's unbeatable at his best. Yeah, I remember about eight years ago, I used to play tennis pretty competitively, and I uh, I was in a national qualifier, and I got creamed terribly. But oh, the, yeah. pers the person who won was a little blonde boy named Denis Shapovalov. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and he yeah he was phenomenal. He, he yeah. took it so seriously, and look yeah. where it's got him, right? He's yeah. what what he's like top twenty now in the world. Like, oh, yeah, he has been. I, I wouldn't know if he's mm -hmm. still there at the moment. Um, because I, I used to follow tennis like as close as I followed the NBA, you know, growing up in Melbourne where you follow the Australian Open and then, you know, you just you just grew up around it. But yeah, in the last, you know, well, it's probably yeah, it's probably more than five years, it's probably closer to 10 years now because of my, my life sort of uh, with basketball. I just don't follow it as much. And, um, you know, when you see a tournament like we just had down there in Melbourne, you're like, oh, man, I, I wish I had sort of kept closer tabs on it because... Uh, it's a great game and it's a real battle. And, um, you know, that's the thing about tennis. The quality and the standard has really just continued to get better and better. And uh, it, it's great to watch. So I miss it in that sense. But again, I became a father and a homeowner career and the NBA. And so something sort of had to, you know, something had to give along the line there, you know. Did you ever go to uh, the Australian Open coming up? I did go. Um, I did go a couple of times when I was there, when I used to live there. Um, but it was always a tradition that I've watched it um, every summer because it's on for two weeks and it's on school holidays. So you're watching it just all day and at night as well, and it was great. But I didn't actually start going until I was, um, I, I don't know, probably twenty, probably in my twenties, when I was like, why aren't I going to this? You know, it's, you just jump on a train and you're there. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an awesome tournament and uh, it is really well organised. And the Australian government and the Australian Tennis Committee have done a great job in, in keeping it because so many places want to poach it, like especially in Asia, you know, in Japan and China and places like that, they want to host it. And even within Australia, you know, Sydney and Brisbane, they want to host the uh, because it's such a big, big event for the calendar. But the, uh, the Melbourne government and the Australian government have sort of said, listen, they haven't done anything wrong in Melbourne. We've got to keep it there and keep that tradition alive, which is great because it's been going on for as long as I can remember. And then uh, Australian basketball as well is looking very bright for you guys. Uh, Josh Giddy, I want to talk about because he's been phenomenal. He's all around. Like he's the first player since LeBron to put up 500, 200, and 200 in their first 45 games. Like, uh, is he could he be the rookie of the year, or do you think that's going to go to Scotty Barnes or Evan or? What do you yeah, think there? I, Cade as well. Cade, since he started playing, has been really good. Um, no, I don't think Josh Giddy can win Rookie of the Year. I think he's definitely an all-rookie first-teamer, uh, no doubt about that. Um, and then, yeah, it's probably Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes probably in that sort of rounding out the top three there. So he could finish top four or five, I, I think. And that would be a fantastic achievement because when he got taken by the Thunder at number six, no one had him on the board that high. Uh, he was more considered a sort of... 10 to 20 somewhere in there if you could get him at about 12 that was probably a good pick and i think largely because 
you know, he didn't play college. And so there wasn't a whole lot of USA, uh, United States eyes on him. Instead, it was more, <coughs> excuse me, what he was doing in the Australian league. So you're always measuring how impactful that is versus playing college basketball. But then LaMelo Ball played in Australia and did really well. So I don't know if that hurt or helped um, Josh Giddy's case. Uh, but, you know, the thing I've liked about him is he looks like he's ready to play in the NBA already. A lot of rookies... You know, the bright lights of the NBA sets them back a little bit. They, it takes them a year or two. But he sort of has come along there on a team with not really big expectations. And he's been just incredible. Um, you know, he's still got to work on his shot, but he's found a way to score, even though he doesn't have a great, uh, great looking shot. And that's been really important. You know, he can get inside. He's tall for a point guard. He's, what, 6'8". And, uh, you know, so he can he, he often has a mismatch with the other team's point guard. And he can get inside and, and score, you know, little hooks and jumpers and, and floaters and things like that. Um, so he's found a way to, you know, score without having, without being a great shooter. So it's been a really, really good season for him. I kind of noticed that uh, on the Thunder, you and uh, Skeets look like Polkashevsky and uh, Giddy a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Do you, uh, have you picked a favorite team? I kind of noticed you're, you're posting a little bit more about the Grizzlies. Of course, Jaw's been yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a team. I find it hard to sort of be a supporter of one team when you're trying to cover the league because, um, you know, you just you just can't sort of sit there and watch every team's game every night. You have to pick and choose. And and Jar and the Grizzlies has been, you know, maybe the best story this season. I know the Cavs have been a great story. Um, but I think what the way that Jar, I mean, every single time he touches the ball, it's like he's doing something that we haven't seen before, whether it's that, like, you know, little... Uh, crossover or fade away, the little herky-jerky moves that he's got. And, uh, you know, it's great. I, I, I love, like, I'm not one of those guys who, like, you know, oh, I want to see the Lakers and the Celtics. And I don't care who's in the final. You know, last year we had the Bucks and the Suns. Perfect for me, you know, like, because great stories, great players and, and teams that could really go and get a championship and the Bucks did. So if the Grizzlies and the Cavs made the finals this year, I'd be just as excited as I would be for, you know, Lakers, Lakers Knicks, you know, uh, in, in terms of, you know, historically the bigger cities. So uh, I just want to see, and, and I, I really want to see, you know, you see it a little bit like Damian Lillard, for example, and Bradley Beal, they want to stay loyal to that one team, but they're sort of at a stage of their career where it's like, okay, it's probably better to move on because it's not happening where you are. But seeing Giannis in Milwaukee win it last year and now Jar in, in uh, Memphis, I would love it if Jar was to go and win a championship and bring one to Memphis because it's a city that otherwise in the NBA world is, is overlooked. And so you get that star if you can keep him. I mean, the Pelicans with, with Zion, that's the hope, but who knows what's going to happen there. But the Grizzlies look mm -hmm. like they may have, uh, well, they definitely have hit the home run here with Jar Morant. Now it's a matter of can they surround him with the right players and actually go and compete for a championship. Mm -hmm. If you were uh, put on your GM hat here, would you uh, take a fully healthy Zion or Jaw starting a franchise? I mean, when, when the draft was out, uh, what was that? 2018, I think it was, or 2019, 2019, maybe. Um, no one was taking Jar Morant over Zion because of what we'd seen the highlights. And so it's easy now. We can say, well, of course we'd take Jar because, you know, Zion may not play at all this season. But at the time, you know, Zion was an absolute lock for that number one pick. 
um, all season long in the, in the college season and even before that, really, when he was projected to go. So, yes, now in hindsight, of course, uh, the Grizzlies have, have benefited way more. But I, I know that if the Grizzlies had that number one pick that year, they would have taken Zion too. So, um, you know, this is not really something to sort of point to the Pelicans and say, well, they've completely butchered it. I think that with Zion, he's a big, heavy guy. Um, and that's why he's having some problems with his feet and stuff now because, you know, he, he's maybe not in the best shape he needs to be in. So, um, you know, with the, with the value of hindsight, of course you'll take Ja Morant, but at the time it wasn't even a consideration that, that anyone was going ahead of him. I know you, uh, you've met a lot of NBA players over the years, especially with the starters. Uh, who have you been the most star-stunned by? Who have you been the most, holy shit, this guy's right beside me? Yeah, I mean that's a good question, but um, it's it's funny because when I when I see the modern day players, like I shot around with Steph Curry, which was just an incredible wow. experience, like the what, what an amazing, awesome experience. But I think more for me when I was growing up as an NBA fan, you know, Isaiah Thomas was one of my favorite players, and I really wanted to play like Isaiah. Like I was about I was a point guard, and I saw how tough he was and how hard he played. And so when I actually met him and started talking to him and talking about games from like 1989 and stuff like that to me, it wasn't like I was starstruck where I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to say to this guy. It felt like I was prepared to talk to him because I'd watched so many games of the Pistons and I'd watched his rise from, you know, starting out in Detroit where, where they were an afterthought and it was like, oh, no one wants to play in Detroit. And then they had to overcome the Celtics and they did that. Then they had to overcome the Lakers and they did that. Then they went back to back, you know, and then the Bulls sort of overtook the, the, the Pistons. But before the Bulls overtook the Pistons, you know, the, the Pistons knocked the Bulls out three years in a row in the playoffs. So for me, it was like, a, I think when you're a kid, you just have, you know, bigger feelings and affections towards these guys because you were like 10, 12 years old going, oh my God. Role models. You know, and then here I am talking with Isaiah Thomas about about the finals and the playoffs. And so that for me was um, was probably, it's probably still the coolest moment because it was just like, I can't believe I'm now. Like if I could tell 12-year-old Lee at the time when I would wait for the newspaper to get the scores of games, mm-hmm. you know, if I could say to him like, one day you're going to be shooting around with Isaiah on the court, I'd be like, how's that going to happen? How's that going to work? You know, from tiny little town in Australia to, uh, you know, all the way over to America to, to shoot around with him. I just, uh, you know, it's still something that I think, and I, I, you know, I had posters on my bedroom wall of Isaiah and I brought them in and I gave them to him and he signed them and stuff. And I was just like, I was like, this is just unbelievable, man. This is so cool. Yeah. Speaking of how you got where you got to, uh, did you know you wanted to do this? Like in your twenties, early 30s even did you like yeah how I mean, did it come about yeah I, I mean I knew I wanted to do it but I had no idea how to go about doing it and I had no idea how it was going to come about and um it was funny I just got a message uh, I, I I get a lot of messages on on uh, Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that from people mainly in Australia who are like you know how did an Australian go from from all the way from Sunbury and, and Melbourne to to America and talking about NBA and I'm, I'm like there's no there's no path that I can sort of say, okay, do this and then this and then this, and then it'll, it'll work for you. Um, but what I can say is you just have to, if, if you, if you're into blogging or podcasting or whatever it is, you just have to start doing it. And that's all it really is like. So 
I got married when I was 30 and I had no career. I had no, you know, no real skills. I was working in a bank and stuff. And my wife was like, you know, if basketball or sports coverage is what you've got to do, then start. And that's when everyone had a blog spot. I don't know if you ever had a blog spot, but, but this is the thing in right, like about 2007, it was like, oh, start up a blog, you know? And so I just started writing and I started writing some articles and I sent them off to like real GM and I sent them off to, uh, you know, all sorts of sites. And I just said, Hey, if you want my work, here it is sort of thing. And while it's not like you expect people to call you back and say, great, here, and, and we'll start paying you to write. It's more about you just start practicing and learning and like you start chasing that dream a little bit. And so, you know, that led to me going to a, uh, a journalism school in Toronto called the College of Sports Media. From there, an internship opened at the score, which no longer exists as it did back then. From the score, the Basketball Jones joined. I joined the Basketball Jones, which was Skeets and Tass and uh, JD. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we moved to NBA TV. So, you know, there was no way you could possibly sort of map that out and say, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm, you know, and then this opportunity is going to happen. But that initial, like, you know, the first step is the hardest. All those sort of cliches we hear, but you just, you've just got to get started and and try to create some opportunities and um you know that's why i say it's it's not, it's very difficult for me to just say okay it's 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 a it's b it's c and then d is the the end result instead it's like try everything you can and then just see what happens because um you know it's a i remember when i started interning at the score and I was like, man, how am I ever going to go from this to being on camera? You know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a host. And I'm like, there are like 30 or 40 people working at the score in the edit suites and they're preparing the highlights and the writing and the packages and things like that. They all want to get on air as well. And there's only like two slots and the guys who have got those slots on air, they're not giving those up. So, you know, you have to just, uh, you just have to keep trying and trying to figure out something and um and and so it's 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 hard because again sometimes people say well you just do this and this and this and it's easy but i find that that's a little bit misleading because it's never easy and there's never a set path these things you've just gotta you've just got to sort of try you've got to do everything you can and then wait for that opportunity and when that opportunity comes try to make the most out of it trial and error yeah, yeah sounds exactly. good oh. I mean, some of the things that I've written about in terms of when I started writing that blog spot, I don't know if it even still exists. Maybe it does, but it was one of those things where I was like, all right, I'm trying to write about, you know, Kobe Bryant. And then I'm like, why aren't I getting any traction? And it's like, well, there's a thousand articles on Kobe Bryant. So then I tried to find something that wasn't being written about. I tried to talk about, I talked about tennis. I remember writing a few tennis articles. And, um, and, and so that's when I realized like, no one's going to sort of offer you that opportunity you but you have the skills and the or you have the uh the tools to at least go out there and try to start writing and your writing will improve you'll feel a bit more confident and then you'll start to get a little bit of momentum going and um and then you again you just have to hope and, and wait for that uh for that opportunity because an opportunity will come what it is when it is how that is hard to say but there'll be something yeah, i appreciate that that's a good piece of advice yeah uh are you uh sick and tired of this the uh, no dunks crew or do you hang out all the time <laughs> well no no i mean we we uh we don't hang out all that much outside of work the other guys hang out a little bit more than i do um you know i mean just you know we have our lives away from uh from the show and um 
you know, that's, that's just the way it is. I mean, I've got two boys and, you know, I, we have our own life, so we do that, but, you know, we get together for dinners and, and, you know, things like that every now and again, um, hasn't happened as much, obviously in the last couple of years, but, you know, it's like, it's like any sort of relationship you have there, you know, you, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like we've been together now, I think, uh, I think it's, uh, 12 years, 11 years, something like that. So, you know, that's a long time. And so, you know, a, a relationship in that situation takes maintenance and you, you know, you have to, um, you know, you have to work on it, but you also need to have a little bit of time apart as well, because I think that's uh, very important. And, and again, your priorities shift a little when you become a parent, I think, I mean, they certainly did for me where I don't want to miss out on, on on any sort of thing that I can do with my boys. So, you know, that becomes your priority where you're like, okay, I want to make sure that I'm there for them as much as I can be, because, you know, the, the thing about kids is they grow so fast. I mean, it, it, that, that's a cliche. That is true. Like I've got a boy who's going to be 10 soon. And I'm like, sometimes it feels like he was born yesterday. And other times it feels like he was born 50 years ago. Like it just, it's, it's been such a process, but I just want to, you know, make sure that I'm always there and giving them my full attention as much as I can um, outside of uh, doing the show. How did uh, the four of you zero in on Atlanta as a place to live? Well, this uh, this came about when we moved down from Toronto um, because NBA TV moved us down and the studios for NBA TV are here in Atlanta. So they moved us down. And then when the contract wasn't renewed in 2019, uh, we decided to continue the podcast and we've been with the athletic ever since. And it was just more like, well, everyone's here now. So, you know, we may as well stay really. That was, that was all it was. It wasn't, uh, wasn't really much of a consideration if we were going to do the podcast. It was like, well, we may as well just sort of stay where we are. So, um, the original move was for, for Turner for NBA TV. Uh, and then we just decided to stay here after that. How many uh, countries have you lived in in your life? Well, well, I mean, four, if you count the country I was born in, Australia, uh, I lived there for my first 20 plus years mm -hmm. and then England, England for about six and a half years and, and Canada for about eight and a half years. And I've been here in Atlanta now, uh, since 2013. So this will be coming up to nine years. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, crazy. <laughs> it's so funny how quickly it all escapes from you because you know, I guess if I think 10 years ago when we started sort of talking to NBA TV, I was like, wow, imagine that happened. And then now it's been 10 years and we've, uh, you know, nearly 10 years we've been here, which doesn't make sense in some, when I think about it like that. Do you, uh, you have any tips for someone who wants to go backpack Europe, let's say, yeah. where to, where to start, where to maybe go? Yeah. Sim similar sort of advice, as I said before, like Europe is, um, there are so many like, awesome like there's no place that you'll go on europe and go well why, why did i come here for that sucks but the biggest thing i think as well like i like i was saying before is you just got to go um because when i when i first planned on going overseas i had some friends who were like i'm gonna come with you and i'm like all right and they said just give me a few more months to get some money together and sort some things out and i'm like okay no worries and that sort of like two months turned into four months and six months and then i was like what am I doing? I'm waiting for these guys and I don't think they're actually coming. And so I just went and said, right, I'm buying my ticket. I'm gone. If you guys want to come, come. And no one did. And that again, sort of, uh, it's, it's so hard to sort of say at the time, like how it's going to end up. But 23 years later, I'm now living in Atlanta after living those other countries I mentioned, England and Canada. I had no idea I was going to be away that long, but it just one thing led to another. 
but what I what I have learned from any of my travels is just uh, it's always worth just sometimes or not sometimes always if you're not sure just buy a ticket to somewhere whether it's Rome or Paris or Berlin or wherever and just go because once you've made that financial commitment and once you've sort of got that ticket in your hand then you're like well I've got to go now and yeah uh, you know it, it the, the experiences I've had traveling uh, just cannot be but you can't um, teach traveling you can only learn it and you learn it by just going there and and putting yourself in situations that you wouldn't normally do and and, and by that I mean not not dangerous ones but like staying in a hostel I, I wouldn't stay in a hostel anymore in your 20s it's fine but not when you're you know I wouldn't take my family there or anything like that but in my 20s there was a couple of times I remember staying in uh in Edinburgh in Scotland in a, in a hostel with 12 people and it was like I have no idea who these people are, but I have my passport there, my credit cards, I had cash and you just sort of like throw it under your pillow and you're like, well, I guess I just gonna, you know, but then I went off traveling and I met people and I, you know, went on, on, um, you know, jumped in cars with people and I took off and I had beers and parties and things like that. And those sorts of things, you just, again, you can't plan those. You just sort of live in the moment and that spontaneity uh, of the, of the situation. And then you come away with just stories and fun and memories and, uh, and you meet girls and uh, you know, like it's, uh, it's just awesome. You, you just realize like, okay, this is way more fun not knowing rather than, you know, waking up every day going like, should I do this or shouldn't I do it? And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that very first step is the toughest one, but once you take it, then you're like, you feel so much more confident taking other steps and trying other things. And, um, you know, I've met some people traveling, over 20 years ago, who I'm still friends with now, which is great. I'm godfather to one of uh, my, my, she's a girlfriend, like her, her boys, I'm godfather to one of her boys. And we met on a bus in Chile, in Santiago, and we were just talking and, you know, one thing led to another and, uh, you know, we've just been friends ever since. And uh, did you meet Roxana on a trip or living in a different country? No, well, we met in Toronto, actually. Um, oh. Yeah, we met in Toronto when I, when I came back to Toronto, I was like, uh, I was single, unemployed, had no money. And I was just like, all right, I'm just going to live in Toronto for a year. I had a work visa and I, and I was like, I'm not looking for anything serious or any real commitments. And then I met Roxana and yeah, <laughs> one thing led to another there. And, uh, you know, we started dating and we were seeing each other and then, you know, we just decided to get married and it was, uh, you know, it was one of those things I think at the time I'm like, wow, there's a big risk, but it, again, it's, it's a risk worth taking, you know, I was 30, she was 30. And it was like we wanted to be together but we couldn't be together um because i didn't have a visa so the one of the ways to get one was to get married and, and i was like i don't want her to think i'm marrying her just for the visa i wanted to marry her because i wanted to marry her but at the same time then it would allow us to stay together in canada and and we did and so that was nearly 15 years ago now uh which which again it's just mind-blowing how quickly that's gone but um that again would not have happened if i just didn't take that first um step which was to buy the plane ticket get the work visa for canada and just jump on the plane and you know I, I, and you have look you have some um you have some rough moments when you're traveling because you have those moments where you don't know anybody and you're in a foreign country and you're like what am i doing here you know what what's why did i do this but when you have those payoff moments then you're like oh okay that's why i realize now i, I realize that i it was worth taking this risk and taking this challenge because something incredible has come out of it that you just couldn't foresee uh beforehand because you just you just can't you, you can only uh experience it and go through it and then you start to 
you know, that again, starts to give you more ideas. Well, why don't I try this? And why don't I do that? And, and give things a shot. And some of them, some of them work and some of them don't, but you just feel they're more rewarding when they do work because you're just like, I'm glad I took on that challenge. Great. Uh, I got a few random questions just on the sure. top of my head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. First one, what's your death row meal? Say you're on the electric chair <laughs> tomorrow. Wow. What's wow. your death row meal? Wow, I, I've never really given that uh, consideration, but something, uh, something. Perhaps some paichi. <laughs> no, I, I think it'd be. Just, I think it'd be just the richest, heaviest chocolate cake I could probably okay. uh, ask for because um, I used to. I used to love chocolate cake, uh, but you know, and, and I, you know, when you're a kid, you sort of eat it and get away with it. You don't really put on weight. As you get a bit older, you know, like you, you sort of start to look at the calories and the size of it and you're like, oh, I can't, I can't eat this like I used to. So I think uh, if I was going out anyway, I think I'd probably have just a big fat piece of chocolate cake dripped with uh, chocolate sauce on top and just go, well, this is it. This is, this is the last meal I'm having. I notice you're, uh, you're definitely trimmer than you were maybe five years ago. So <laughs> what's, what's working for you? Uh, well, five years ago, it's about five years ago when I stopped eating. Well, I didn't stop completely, but I started uh, cutting back my meat consumption. And, mm. um, and that was, that, that's been a big uh, improvement, I think, because I used to eat, you know, chicken for, for lunch and then uh, beef for dinner or steak or mincemeat or something like that. Uh, and again, as I got a bit older, I realized from a health perspective, um, you know, higher cholesterol and blood pressure and things like that. And so, you realize like you don't need all that meat in you. You know, we saw, we told that it's all this protein and stuff, but you can get that protein elsewhere in vegetables and plants. And, um, and that's where I've been focusing, but uh, it's been hard to go from being a meat eater my whole life to all of a sudden dropping it. And so it's been a process, but I've been, I think been getting better and better each year because I just start to, you know, I, I just get away from the meat for longer periods now like I, I, it's not that i claim i'll never eat meat again but uh, i certainly don't eat it as often as i used to and um I, and i don't miss it now i did miss it at the start because you, you know again it's, a, it's just a part of your life your body craves it and your body expects it and when you're not giving it to it your body sort of you know it's, it's like a withdrawal symptom and so um now i my body doesn't really crave it anymore have you noticed a change in energy more or less um Yes and no. I, I, I guess um, it, it, it's a bit cloudier that area because of uh, being a father. <laughs> you know, being a father is, you know, it's exhausting all the time. Um, but I, um, I definitely noticed that I sleep better um, when with with less meat because one of the things is what I used to do. You know, you eat a big meal like say, you know, steak at eight o'clock at night. Your body it takes so much energy for your body to break that down and to digest it. Um, you would, I would, I would sort of feel heavy when I'd go to bed, but I don't really feel that anymore. So I think my body is a little bit more prepared to, um, and ready to go to sleep at, at normal bedtime. Um, and I just, I just, like, like I say, I think, I think I feel I don't put on, I don't feel bloated as much as I used to with meat where sometimes you would eat a meal, and then you'd have to lie down and, and that doesn't really happen anymore um where i like after i eat a big meal now yeah. if it's heavily salads and plants and things like that i'm like i feel i feel good so in that sense my energy probably has gotten better because you don't feel like you have to you know use your use your body's energy to digest the food instead you eat it and then you're sort of ready to go did you keep carbs around the same or uh, less of that too 
Uh, no, more carbs. Yeah, definitely more carbs. Um, which, uh, yeah, that that's that's probably the sort of compensation is I have a lot more pasta and stuff like that to fill me up. Um, so you notice you put on a little bit more weight sort of around the belly there, but the, I'm sort of like you, the, you've got a there's a compromise somewhere, you know, like because I, I tried. I remember I tried just eating salads there for uh, oh, it probably only lasted like two weeks, and I was just like. I'm just hungry all the time because there's just not enough protein in there. If you're eating your greens, like it's good for you, but I'm like, okay, there's something missing because now I'm, I'm like, my wife would say cook pasta for dinner and I would eat so much of it. And so then you're sort of like, well, that's probably not the way to get the balance right. So now I eat a lot more beans. Uh, beans. They, they really, yeah, beans are really, really good because they keep you full without blowing you out. Um, and they're just so much better for your health. So I've, I've found something of a compromise there, although uh, I am a bit guilty of a little too much pasta from time to time still. <laughs> it's like a brick in your stomach after eating pasta. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, your, your kids. Do they, uh, what are they like? Are they like, like you? Are they a mixture of you and Roxana? Oh, they're definitely, yeah. I mean, they're definitely a mix of both of us. Um, you know, a lot of people assume my, my boys are into basketball because of what I do for a career, but they're not really, um, they, they like it. You know, they, they watch it from time to time and we have a hoop out the back and we play, mm -hmm. but they're not like every day come home from school, like let's go and shoot hoops, dad, or, you know, let's go and, um, you know, play games of basketball or anything like that. It's, it's more like it's an activity along with, riding their scooters or riding their bikes or, um, you know, drawing or playing, whatever they're playing. So, and I, and I certainly don't uh, force it on them because, you know, I, I, there's so many examples of parents who want their kids to just be what they were. And, and that's not, you know, my philosophy with parenting. I think, of course, you've got to let the child sort of lead you and you follow them. And so, you know, they're active. They, they, they play soccer and, as I say, ride bikes and scooters and, and play tennis from time to time. But there's not, um, you know, like when I was nearly 10 years old, I think I was already a big basketball fan, but my, my, my two, nearly 10-year-old is not really. But again, I'm not in any way bothered by that. I don't, I don't want him to do something that makes me happy. I want him to do things that make him happy and, and, and I'll get more satisfaction out of watching him. That's good. Uh, just one final question for you. I like The Simpsons. I, I hear you talk about it sometimes. Who's your favorite character? Ah, <laughs> uh, wow. Um, I like uh, Snake. Uh, Snake, okay. Uh, but I also, I, I like Snake. I like Otto. Um, Do you have a favorite uh, season? The old, the old uh, shows? Well, I mean, look, to be honest, I haven't watched it for, I mean, I say like 10, it's been 20 years really since I watched it. I, I, I mean, those first five seasons were incredible, you know, like really captivating stuff. And um, it's still, I guess it's still good now, but, you know, it's, it's still just one of those things you grow out of a little bit. Um, but I do like the Who Shot Monty Burns. That was a double episode, I think it was. Right. I remember that, um, you know, that was kind of funny uh, how <laughs> that all came together, how Maggie ended up shooting him. But um you know, I, like, I just, I feel I connect with so many of the storylines that you see there about just how, you know, um, I, again, how America is in a lot of ways, you know, like, um, you know, the kids like with Krusty the Clown, you know, like it's all right. exploitation and uh, the way that they manipulate the kids and things like that. It's like, it's, it's hilarious how it's so open and obvious. And, um, 
uh, you know, I, I, I look, I, I would probably still watch it if I, if I, you know, was single and had no kids or anything like that, I probably would because I enjoyed it. But, uh, it, it, it's just been an incredible show to be still going this long. And I mean, I, I often wonder like how much longer can they go for, but I guess, you know, <laughs> you know, I guess if it's still a lifetime. Yeah. Lifetimes I mean, of those. Yeah. If it's still rating, then, uh, then I guess they'll keep on, you know, commissioning more and more episodes and so um you know it, it's it's wild to think that it's so old now but uh uh still yeah i still i on my instagram feed i get suggestions for things and i don't know how that started but i get a suggestion for an instagram uh, for a uh for a uh simpsons page and uh mm -hmm. i often find myself looking at that and just you know remembering something or laughing at it now and uh it's great that's the cliffs. And then just your MVP pick. Last question for you today. Yeah. Well, wow, man. I mean, this, if you ask me, next, yeah, next week it could change in two weeks. It could change. I, I would say right now, um, I think the nuggets of are winning enough that Jokic can probably go back to back here. I mean, Embiid has been just on fire too lately and the Sixers are winning. And I, and I do think winning has an impact. I think it, uh, I think it is really important. And so, as long as those two guys are winning, I think it's probably going to come down to them. Giannis is sort of right there. Steph was the pick earlier on in the season. Um, I think LeBron scoring more than he ever. Like he's yeah. up there, and, but the team winning, right? I guess the, yeah. the Lakers are below five hundred, so th there's no chance while he's there. Chris Paul should be in the conversation, but um, he seems mm -hmm. to be sort of on the outer a little bit there. And Ja Morant. I mean, if the Grizzlies win fifty-five games, it might be Ja Morant's. You know? Oh yeah. Well, and I've heard talk about DeMar as well. DeMar is playing phenomenal. Yeah, I, look, I don't have him in the top sort of eight. I, I would say DeMar's probably in that, probably top 10. Um, he, he ha he's had an incredible season. I think he's having his best year ever. Uh, you know, in those fourth quarters, he's been incredible. But feels like he's not quite in that same class with uh, those other guys I mentioned. But it, it's also great that we've got a race. It's a strong field. Yeah. In years gone by, it's kind of like, well, this guy's got it and no one's even close. You know, when Steph won it and James Harden and Westbrook, it was like, ah, these guys aren't going to lose it. And now here we are. And it's like, there's, there's really three or four guys who have got a really strong case. And it could come down to victories. It could come down to just who's playing well at the end of the season because timing for these sorts of awards is like very important. Yeah. Do you still uh, own property on Wiggins Island? Because he's doing very well. <laughs> I don't know if I ever did own property. I think I may have gone partying there a couple of weekends. But um, <laughs> look, he, he yeah, he, he's a, he's an interesting one because he's having a good season. His numbers aren't as high as they were uh, when he was there in Minnesota, but he's just a better player, you know, on a better team. They're winning, so it's standing out. He still frustrates me because he, um, if he's not scoring or shooting, he doesn't do tons else for his team. But they also, I think the Warriors, and I think everyone's right now, like that's who he is. He's, he's not going to go out there. He's not going to be chasing triple doubles and things like that. He's he's get out and run and gun. And uh, and if you do that effectively, <laughs> you see what happens. He's become an all-star starter. Yeah. So. Do you agree with that over Luca, uh, Devin Booker? Yeah, yeah. I, I, one of the sons for sure. Um, yeah. Either one, Chris Paul. You can't have the best record by far and not have one starter and the team below you has two it's just it's just not right and especially when you know there's no there's no like chris paul is in the mvp conversation booker's not really but certainly the, he's ahead of andrew wiggins so you know it's this whole stupid positional thing get rid of the positions and get the best five in there 
in that case, in that sense, you would have definitely had Chris Paul and maybe Booker as well. You know, it's possible that Booker is in there too. So, um, yeah, for the Suns, they deserve to have a starter and to not have one. Um, it's kind of bad. It's a bad look on the NBA to be like, well, Wiggins is in because he's a forward. Who gives a shit? Like, put the best player in, put the player more deserving, and uh, and Chris Paul is certainly more, more deserving than yeah. than Wiggins, especially with the Suns playing that well. Oh yeah. Uh, what, what's your favorite beer? <laughs> Guinness. Guinness. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that that's it for my questions today. I, oh, I really look. appreciate it. <laughs> uh, yeah, just great to see you, and uh, yep. all the best, Leah. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks very much, man. It was uh, it was a fun conversation. Yeah, it was. Thanks. Cheers. Bye.